House of the Dragon, Serially Hooks, welcome. <laughs> We're your hookers, Chris and Rashad, and today we are hiding behind our cloaks of our own righteousness. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and at seriallyhooked.com where you can get all of our latest info, info, including our personal tax ID numbers if you're so interested. Programming, programming reminders, we have so much coming down the pipeline. There's just some, such amazing content out there in the world and we're here to talk about most of it or some of it or a certain subsect of it. So here we are on Wednesday. We have a weekly hook coming up that I think both Chris and I are both really excited for and it's a secret for you guys out there. And on Saturday, we'll be talking about the next episode of Andor that's going to be released this Wednesday. So tune in for all of that and more. That's about it, yeah? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, and with that, one day together we will prevail. How excited are you that your man Otto Hightower is back? <laughs> That's where the energy is all coming from. I just finished watching the episode like 30 minutes ago, and I'm just like on a high right now. Otto for the <laughs> fucking win. Bring him back. MVP. Gotta love him. God. <laughs> fucking Otto. Actually, like he's just incompetent now. Like my hatred for Allison, I think at this point has, it's just like all the Hightowers and it's, yeah, whatever, whatever. Fuck Otto Hightower. There, there are just two things about that that I find very interesting. A, Viserys is so unimaginative that after Strong has died, the only other thing he can, the only other person he can think about is Otto Hightower, the guy he fired like before. Uh, and also, it's going to be interesting to see Otto and Alicent now together. I mean. You know, the it has definitely the the balance of it has shifted. Where, or rather, the relationship where Otto was obviously the uh, father and much older to a teenage daughter, whom he could very easily influence. And now, I would say the gap has been closed somewhat. I don't think only somewhat. I think he seems in this episode kind of meek and old and decrepit a little bit. Not as much as yeah. Harris, obviously, but he's not really that present in this episode he's around he says his thing and the, at the end they have a conversation which is great but he doesn't really do that much i would say i think allison is the one who can take him forward and is the power broker now yeah but i think that is kind of his new role that i could see him su su uh, succeeding at just being kind of the calm voice of reason that's what he's trying to sell himself as um and yeah i'm just going to i'm so curious how he's going to do i mean he's probably going to be much more careful this time around he's learned from his mistakes and this episode shit just got real so it's been escalated to 11 and holy shit yeah it's such an amazing episode for so many reasons and not only hightower is back auto hightower is back who's the best thing ever but we have as you said, consequences to the actions that are happening and this this feud that has been, I don't know, heating up recently is really has come to a boil and is overflowing from the pot and everything everywhere is affected by it or everyone everywhere is affected by it. Yeah, I like that metaphor, not least of all, because uh, at the very end, uh, Rhaenyra talks about fire and water, so I think that that works out very nicely. Um, yeah, and I'm really curious about Aemon now because I think Aegon is just being an idiot again, but I feel like Aemon has definitely, uh, you know, he is going to transcend his older brother, and I, I could see him becoming the heir apparent from Allison's point of view, because his older brother is just an idiot. And yeah, Eamon has the uh, wherewithal to, to he is becoming a power broker himself now. Uh, what with Vega and everything. That was such an interesting move. We have 
the the kids really are central here uh and you can definitely see they're the children of their parents in like each each action that they take of course they are guided by their parents but even when they're just by themselves they you can see their i guess education by their parents and who who raised them shine through and I especially loved an early scene with, I think it's Luke, which is also, oh my God, really? We're doing this. Uh, Luke Targaryen, I suppose, saying to Corlys, if I'm Lord of Driftmark, that means everyone else is dead. And even the younger one is now beginning to see, oh, wow, this is, this is going to be serious. What does, the, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for everyone around me? And... I think it's just so interesting seeing all of these kids who have been raised in this environment of just political power and in like intrigue and yeah, it's, it's go the next generation's for sure going to be very interesting as well. Yeah, I think it's actually Lucerus Valarian is his name. How is it? Yeah, because yeah. uh, if you remember a few episodes ago, they would bear the name Valarian until they take the crown. Yes, true. Right. And yeah, so that just said that we'll put yeah. that on the table. But you're right with the kids. And I think they've done an amazing job casting these characters. And Amand is just such an amazing, like, like I don't, I don't want to call him an intrepid young lad. Is the best way I could describe. <laughs> so British, so British. I, you know, it follows me wherever I go. I guess now, <laughs> but no, I think he is such a great character, and his his ambition is palpable already. And he is the type of character that, for better or for worse, we're often we tend to root for the person who has a chip on their shoulder, who was you know doubted when he was young and overcame that, but. I think in the end, what comes from it is he is mixed with the, I don't call them evil, but the narcissism of the high towers in a way and this manipulation that he's able to really dig the knife into things and he's able to control it in such a way. And we'll talk later about the scene where he gets his eye cut and either, you know, the whole, the whole big scene of this episode, mm. but him in that scene is just he's silent for most of it and he absolutely is one of the stars of it so it's just it's such a great indication for his character and his importance as well as i mean obviously the rest all of them and the rest of them and then we got the 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 nugget in this episode that aegon is officially betrothed to helena yeah (laughs) he's not happy about that not at all and honestly Uh. like I mean, so we see last episode, Rhaenyra offered this you know, olive branch to Alicent and let's marry the two kids and everything. And we see the results of Alicent's decision here. Yeah, in good, in good old Targaryen tradition. Another um, interesting note is that the kids are wearing green all the time. None mm-hmm. of the kids are at all wearing black or red or any other color. Not even just a neutral color. Say blue. No, they're just we- they're at a funeral and they're wearing green. And it's just it's such a constant statement by Allison and her her like overhanded. We are fucking high towers. Fuck all of you guys. And we yeah. do get a mention here in this episode for the first time where Rainier and ta- when she's talking Valerian to Damon, she says, "I cannot face the greens." by myself yeah so she's referenced them as the greens literally and i guess you could just point them out by their outfits let's be honest yeah i thought that that was such a such a great scene as well where you know we we do have i mean we'll talk about that as well i'm sure um but you know Rhaenyra needs allies now now that the high towers and and you know their new generation is really vying for the throne in a way that we haven't seen before. And uh, it's it's so interesting about this episode, I think, because we have a lot of, obviously a lot of things happen, but we don't jump around so much. We have just a lot, like a few big scenes, 
I would say, and not so many small scenes as we have in previous episodes. Yeah, which made it a little bit harder to pick our top scenes. But before I get to the (laughs) scenes, I want to talk about, I want to ask you a couple questions. One, how are you feeling so far about the show as a whole? I just want to zoom out for a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm looking forward to each episode every week. So I think that is a good sign, obviously. I think... Mm, I I like that it is more focused on these few characters. Obviously, now we always have additional characters and some of them leave and <laughs> aka die. But um, you know, I, I like I like that aspect of it, you know, reducing it to a few central players. But what I'm this is very much a you know a noble intrigue show and we don't really see what's outside of this group which i think is missing somewhat because you know inevitably we're going to compare to game of thrones and that was also mostly centered on noble people but you've mentioned it last time when we had Arya and the hound just traveling through the lands and seeing how normal people were affected by what was going on um we have this missing quite a lot and I do miss it as well. So if, if I have any criticism of this show, I think it is this, but at the same time, that's kind of what I like about it as well, that it is focused on just a few characters. I wonder if that, what we've seen up until this point is we're still in like the pseudo prologue phase where (laughs) when things slow down and there's a more focus on certain characters, we will spread around a little bit because if you think about it, the original game of Thrones had a lot of characters for sure, but it tended to focus on a few every week, right? It wasn't that wide of scope in terms of its focus. It was geographically and, you know, ancillary characters were robust. It had so many things going on in it. And also, you know, it had more time for banter and people's talking about random stuff and not always Mm. the most, you know, uh, important things every single every single sentence is the most important thing that has to come out (laughs) of your mouth right yeah yeah and as we talked about previously there is just no jokes no levity here it's all just dire and gritty and uh, and that's kind of a shame especially so in this episode yeah i mean this one's just yeah maiming and revenge and all of that i have one more question for you before we continue, and that's how are you feeling about the children in this episode? I need a children update, children status update from Chris. <laughs> I love how this has just become a thing in this in this podcast. Only in this podcast? <laughs> Touche. Uh, no, I mean like in serially hooked overall. Um, I think because they they don't really have a lot of childish behavior. I think the only one that could be said acts childish is Aegon in a way, or like not childish, but immature. Everybody else kind of acts as though they're adults anyway. So I don't really mind them. I don't, I don't really see them as children, if that makes sense that way, just because it is a lot of, it's not about age because I loved uh, Lady Mormont as well. Uh, it's just how they behave, and so I'm I'm for it. I mean, the the what they what all of the children have been doing this episode is phenomenal. So not phenomenal, but like from a narrative perspective, obviously. Um, so I guess I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted. I mean, I think the, the performances are all good. The only performances that leave me wanting more is is Bela and Reyna. I think the kids, yeah. uh. They're they're obviously going through grief in the show, but I think the grief doesn't really come naturally to them, and I think it's just mm. a little bit of a miscast compared to, especially because I think Jace and Luke are really well casted, yeah. and I think Amond is a freaking star in this in this in this episode, obviously, and Aegon is so perfectly cast as this asshole. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't give a fuck about anything, and it's just a great balance for all of them so i think yeah. in in comparison bela and reyna are a little bit um 
lackluster, I guess. But I guess you know they're not True. the focus of the whole thing, right? They're kind of. Yeah, on I was going to say. I was going to say they they are not given that much to do. They don't have, you know, they're not in, in the focus that much. So, you know, obviously they're going to fail in comparison just because they don't have that much to do. And grief is one of these emotions that is just difficult to to show without overdoing it. So may, especially for children, I think. So I think that makes but you you see it you see it in like a few small gestures as with like one of them holding uh, Jace's hand and everything. That was kind of nice. Uh, or hugging uh, Rainus. You know, th- those those are kind of nice. But yeah, I mean. I I wouldn't say like they're miscast. It's just maybe they weren't directed well as well. So potentially, I feel like it's um it's it's kind of a clue when you don't have great actors. Sometimes you, you when are conveying emotion, you use body language or you, you yeah. zoom out instead of like focusing in on facial features and stuff like that. And I felt there was a couple shots where they focus on a facial feature of Bela. I think it was, and the tears streaming down her face was a little bit. Uh, you know, it just. I, I I can see the seams of them working around the limitations of the actors in that scenario, and it just makes me wonder a little bit. But that's just me overanalyzing things, and it just could be all in my head. And they could be the best performers ever to grace. The <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so, what do you think about the show overall? That's a good question. Um, I I'm really liking it. Uh, I think we're going in a good direction. I'm a little bit confused, as I mentioned, in terms of where we are in terms of prologue versus actual important things that are happening. Obviously, everything's important, but what is the actual most important thing that we should like be focusing in on and thinking about? Because, for example, the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones, there was this whole war between Rob Stark and Tywin Lannister as a proxy for jo- Joffrey Baratheon. And... Mm. That was all important, yes, but not really that important. What we should have been focusing on is the shit on the wall and Arya and like all the random crap. So uh, it's really interesting to see what is going on here and is it a red herring or what is the red herring and what is the actual importance things. And I think you mentioned the, the small scope and it is a smaller scope. So you can't have whole plot lines be like complete or whole families be completely useless. Like the um oh my god the iron islands people the Greyjoys, yeah. but you um are going to definitely focus in on certain things as the show begins to climax so what is that going to be and and how are we going to get there and what does this first season really look like um in in the grand scheme of the show that's kind of where i am with it I, i'm enjoying it i'm really enjoying it every episode is really interesting to me uh, but I think it leaves some things to be desired or it it's making me wonder about the place of the show within the wider or of the episodes within the wider show. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be four seasons? I'm not sure. I'm not okay, sure if uh, it's confirmed that it's four. I, okay. I think, I don't think they've, uh, they've put a number on it, but I could be wrong. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm here for it either way. So, um, uh, so what's your, what's your first, uh, scene that you want to talk about um my first scene that i want to talk about is the rhaenyra and daemon walking and talking scene mm-hmm. it's a near the beginning of the episode this is kind of because i think one of the scenes that i, th- I want to talk about later i'm gonna lump them into one big scene because it, it is one big scene in my mind but this is the first thing i want to talk about because it shows for the first time on the screen that we see reyna talk rhaenyra talking so openly and honestly about the parentage of her children. She talks about how she tried to work with Lenor and try to have kids with him, but it didn't work. And this, you can see a different side to Rhaenyra that doesn't have the strength that she kind of exudes all the time in her life. But I think here you really get to see a different, like this side that brings people in into her inner circle and it's really reserved for Damon. and you can i wish they really pushed because at the end of the episode they get married whatever i really wish they kind of put that back a little bit further to see their relationship develop a little bit more i think it felt a little rushed at the end of this episode but 
um, when I was watching this episode for the first time, at the beginning there, there was a moment where I was like, oh, where are they going with this? Or more specifically, I wonder how they're going to build this relationship out. And in the end, they just kind of like jumped it to 11. But either way, I like her talking about her maturity, her becoming an adult and no longer a child and how also her acknowledgement of his abandoning her and how that impacted her and also his shitty advice and how that impacted her. So it's, it's this <laughs> really interesting dynamic and it sets the stage for what happens later in the episode. So we're doing it. Yeah, I think that is something we have talked about in previous episodes, how the show is kind of rushing things. It doesn't give us air to like room to breathe uh, with certain things and doesn't develop characters as much, which is a shame. But at the same time, you know, if you have a limited series, I guess I, I see where they're coming from. Um, and I would say that we have seen in this series so far, uh, even like in the past, we have seen it a few times that Damon is special to Rhaenyra. They, they, she always confides in him, no matter what his status is, even when he is kind of in open rebellion against her father. And so they, they've always had this sort of special relationship, obviously also during her teenage years with a little bit of tension there, uh, sexual romance tension. And yeah, I think that is just a great build up for things to come. And I guess uh, Rainier will finally have white-haired children, but also what does that mean for Jason Luke? We will find out, I suppose. Um, yeah, but a great scene, absolutely. Um, my first scene, again, I'm going through this chronologically, um, is the conversation between Rainies and Corliss, which I I just we've talked about it before. I love them as a couple. I we we see more of Corliss than of Rainies, and we basically get the a uh, back and forth here in the beginning about. Uh, Lena's death that Rainey's blames on Damon and Corley's kind of doesn't accept that. And then she confronts him about, you know, he always says he wants to avenge her not being, ha having been queen. Um, but that actually it is about his own ambition that he is driven by and not kind of a sort of righteousness. And, you know, she clearly says he does it at the cost of our children, which, you know, I think is very much true, but also kind of gave me reason to think about him in comparison to Viserys, who also does, you know, does things at the cost of his family. You know, just think of his first wife. He so wanted a male heir that he sacrificed his wife for it. And in that regard, Corlys and Viserys are very similar. And yeah, I just I just really liked their back and forth. And kind of this frank talking after years of marriage is always something that fascinates me. And at the very end... Rhaenys also insists that she wants to give Driftmark to Lena's daughters, not to Rhaenyra's Ill illegitimate children. So we have here again, this is, this is obviously the episode where this dirty laundry is coming out. And we have everyone talking about it. We have... Rainies and Carlos talking about it. We have Rhaenyra and Damon talking about it. We have it, the children talking about it. We have everybody talking about it at the confrontation scene later on. And yeah, I don't, I think that again, talking about bloodlines and lineages and whatever else, Rainies is does an interesting thing here of sometimes arguing in Corliss's logic, but also sometimes using things that kind of he goes against. 
But so, yeah, I just found, again, I found that insight so fascinating to watch. Corliss and Rhaenyra have, or Rhaenys have the best relationship, I think, in all of Game yeah. of Thrones history. <laughs> Maybe Ned <laughs> and Kat have a good one, too, in yeah. some ways. But I think here, Rhaenys, I, I'm, I'm more on Corliss's side. I mean, she calls out his bullshit in terms of yeah. him being ambitious and cloaking, you know, uh, whatever, whatever in his own ambition. But, I mean, come on, Rhaenys. Just, like, who gives a fuck? Like, I like Corliss being, like, you know, history, it doesn't matter. I know he's, he, he says it by saying, you know, history remembers names, not blood or whatever. But in reality, it's basically him saying, who cares what, who their parents are? Y'all get over your shit. So Rhaenys is a, a little bit, like, come on. She's a little bit Alicenty in that moment there but her overall conversation and her insight and their frank conversation that they talked and the way they speak to each other it is uh, is just such a great scene with two performers that really again we missed them last week and i want to see more and uh, hopefully we <laughs> could see more of them um as less and less um valarians are on the table um mm. after this week even though where who the hell who knows where lanor is going yeah <laughs> Speaking of Lenor, I think that's my next scene that I'd like to talk mm-hmm. about. Do you have a Lenor focused scene at all on your list? Uh, I kind of do, but it's difficult to distinguish. You know, the like back the last ten minutes kind of all are of one piece to me. Uh, so I think the conversation between Lenor and Rhaenyra is something very interesting. Got it. Yeah, I want to talk about that scene specifically, Lenor and Rhaenyra's talk. And I was wondering if you had a list or if you were going to talk more about his like fake death scene later on or not. But uh, So I'll save my, my talk about the end end of the episode later. Mm-hmm. But for now, I really felt for Lenor in this scene in terms of he's dealing with the grief of being who he is. And that's something that is familiar to a lot of us out there and familiar to more people, you know, specifically that will resonate with, you know, Lenor's specific circumstances. And the way he comes out to her with honesty, and then you can see the transformation in their own relationship where Rhaenyra last episode was basically still swearing to him that they're his kids and they've given up on that in this episode. And that doesn't take away that he his dedication to the family or dedication to him, dedication to her. And he's changed. He was basically useless this episode because he's of his, because of his grief. And I wish they really set up more the relationship between Lena and Lenor and how close they are mm-hmm. or were, I guess. But he really... It's a really big deal for him um, to come and have this conversation with Rhaenyra. And who's to say if he would actually do it? We don't know. Chances are not. But I, I like to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt here. And I just wanted to shout out a character who has been dealing, it deals with more than mo- what most characters have to deal with on this show in this world. Either way, I, I don't know. I think it's just really, it's a really important note to bring out uh, talking about Lenor's struggles internally and how that has been weighing on him because we don't see it that much in this, uh, in his journey. And it is a farewell to Raynor, or Lenor anyway. So um, I think his, when he says to her that you deserve a husband, or you deserve someone who will support you and be with you and kind of strengthen the family. Um, I be- I believed him there. Yeah, we just talked about what a great relationship Rhaenys and Corlys have, but I actually think Lenor and Rhaenyra also have an amazing relationship. Um, you know, obviously it is somewhat clouded by the circumstances, but I think they're just so open to each other. And sure, there is bitterness there, and uh, they don't, they cannot relate to each other 100%, but they share their fate in a, in a certain regard. So th- that is what, what just makes them open up to each other. And yeah, I really feel for him as well. I think he is a character, I've always liked him as a character and I, I would have really liked way more screen time with him and exploration of his character. 
but because because he didn't get it, it was always a signifier for the audience that he isn't that important, unfortunately. And I hope we get to see him at some point. The way I understood it is that uh, Carl and him are going to, you know, across the narrow sea and living there kind of anonymously, somewhat anyway. And yeah, this scene is just very powerful, I think, because, yeah, as you mentioned, he does just has this internalized homophobia that, or not homophobia, but maybe bitterness about about you know his his position that i think a lot of people in the real world can um can relate to even though they're not you know born into nobility but um when it comes to societal expectations familial expectations on all of that and i really felt for him here i really liked the exchange between the two of them that rainira kind of in her own way gives him the lo- like a lot of love here where she says that I do not wish you know that the gods made you what you are or how you are and how he is trying to recommit himself to her and in a way he does even though that means he's going away it's kind of the 180 to what he had in mind I'm sure But uh, yeah, I I'd love that scene as well. And yeah, I'm glad you picked it. So I got to talk about it as well. <laughs> um, I'm going to not do the... Uh, I, th- I think I'm going to save the other... I'm not going to do it uh, chronologically as I usually do because the, f- the next two scenes chronologically are probably the two big scenes that we're going to talk about at the very end. So I'm going to choose yeah the what comes after this where we have damon and rhaenyra and carl and lenor and the fake death scene of of lenor which again kind of like the the blood in i think the last episode or the episode before that where after after rhaenyra gave birth that they kind of you know really gay you know put the finger on it and showed it to the audience yeah here 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 look at this i mean i i knew where this was going as soon as damon killed the guard and the uh you know the corpse was charred uh, anyway the fa- the face and nothing was was left basically that was identifiable and i think it's it's a great plan in a way But I think that will have huge consequences that none of them are going to see coming, especially because um, Rhaenyra married married, uh, Daemon right afterwards. So I'm sure that Rhaenys and Corlys are going to suspect her killing him. Um, But all of that sort of frees everyone up to do as they wish. Uh, but maybe Rhaenyra should tell his parents. This is the biggest moment in the show so far where I've been completely taken aback because this is the biggest diversion from the books I've ever seen in, mm, I mean, in this show. Um, because as you know, or as I've mentioned before, Fire and Blood, the text that this is based on, is written as a historical account mm-hmm. written by certain sources. And according to those sources, Carl kills Lenor. Yeah. So, period. So we didn't know that this is a fake out that ever happened. So this is the first time that we've seen this. So I was completely shocked to see <laughs> um, Lenor on the boat at the very end. And what's going to come of it? I have no idea. It's really exciting because there's a whole other chess piece on the board that we i i have no idea about because you know most of the things you know it's going to happen but it's really cool to see that uh, and the consequences of that choice and also my question is 
how involved is Lenor in making this decision? And does he choose to do this and go away, run away with Carl? Like, or is this forced upon him? And what about Damon and Rhaenyra's involvement? How much does he know about that? So it's just a very fascinating sequence. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see more and very excited to see something new. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a very interesting point, though, because I just my head canon totally is that that was something that the four of them kind of plotted, not made necessarily as equals, but that is something that they have agreed on. And but now now that you mention it, it might just be that that was Carl's and uh, Lenor's idea, and Rhaenyra and Damon don't know anything about it, and for all they know. Uh, Lenor is dead. But was it Damon who killed the guard? Yeah, it was Damon who killed the guard. So he so must be involved somehow. He must be involved. Maybe. So yeah, I guess Rhaenyra maybe doesn't know, but uh, I I can't see that with how close she is to both Damon and Lenor in her own way. So I feel like that is a a plan that the four of them know about. I would imagine, but it is a really interesting question there. And I like the information that they're with, still withholding from us. They're not giving us everything we want. And mm. it, it's kind of cool. It makes you keep watching, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, because, you know, even even though I said I'm sure they're going to go to Bravos or whatever else, doesn't mean that they're going to get there, you know. All we see is that they're going to, like, they're rowing a boat towards a ship but that doesn't mean they're gone forever doesn't mean they're actually going to make it across the narrow sea so you know we'll have to see the opening the sequence of next episode is um <laughs> damon on like cyrax and burns them alive yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah just like no no like open ends interesting i mean that's um, what that's what he would do i guess we'll find it's very out true that would be very damon it's true if we don't get another time jump, God, we don't know anymore. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and with all the kids now as well, that you know, that just complicates things further. Oh, we get ready for another recasting if they do another time jump. <laughs> Yay! Oh my God, so so involved, honestly, so much work. But um, what's your next scene? Oh yeah, that was I mean, your scene. Yeah, I forgot. We yeah, just talked so. a lot about Lenor there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, makes sense. He's a great character, so. So um, my next scene is Eamon claiming Vagar. Yes. I have to talk about this. They did such a great job showing how big and ferocious Vagar is. Like how he has to climb him like a ladder for like 10 feet just to get on top of his neck. But also like <laughs> the way they teased it. And throughout the episode at the beginning, they, you hear Vagar's um, cries at his at him flying through the air and um it's it was a little bit kind of easy i feel um but i know that he mm. still had to you know hang on as vegar flies as vegar's testing him can you ride me actually or will you mm-hmm. just be thrown like anyone else so i i just found that to be very affecting and a, and a reflection of Amon's character you know Amon uh last episode wandered to the crypts of the um uh, of the dragon pit and ran into a nameless dragon i thought it was vagar but clearly it wasn't and it's really cool to see um him claim the most powerful dragon in the in the world and what otto says about this later on when he's talking to alicent him bringing vagar to their side is mm-hmm. huge it, it yeah. could not be understated how important that is and Amond really just like the way he just it gives him swagger immediately mm-hmm. and it's just so cool like to see him he just becoming a badass vagar is such a cool dragon uh and i just freaking love it and it's cool the first time we really see someone you know claim a dragon in the wild we don't see that often so it's great on all fronts I mean, he went from a pig to the biggest, baddest dragon alive in one episode. So that's very impressive. And, you know, like, remember how we felt for him. And now he is, he's also being such a jerk to everyone else. And yeah, but it's definitely a power move. And both Otto and him say so that him losing an eye over it is totally worth it. And that is something incredible for an adolescent to say. 
um, yeah, my, my, I mean, my, that was kind of part of my scene because for me that and what happens directly afterwards just goes hand in hand, the confrontation between the kids and it just, I know in the very beginning, it's just, I thought, okay, they're going to yell at each other, whatever. And then, yeah, as I said, shit just got real and it's almost, you know, Eamon almost kills Luke. Uh, the three children almost try to kill him. And then Jace shows up with a knife and cuts him. <laughs> he cuts his eye. And that is so intense. And yeah, it's it's interesting to see kind of also the alliance between the kids as well. And yeah, I don't know. It, it was just, that was the, sh the moment in, in this episode where I just thought, okay, everybody, everything else up to this point was incredibly interesting uh, and intriguing. And I, I was just very interested looking at it, but this was so intense that I was on the edge of my seat. This fight scene, holy shit, man. It was like, Amond is so he's fearless. He's just such a like a an asshole in a way. Like mm -hmm. he's choking out Luke. And then in the later episode, he in later in the scene, he's just like, ah, they attacked me. And he's just like yeah. he's punching out Bela and Reyna like it's nothing. He is about to kill all of them, uh, even though and he's mm -hmm. he's ferocious. You can see that already. He's able to kick them all off of him, even if they're just have him pinned down it is it's incredible i think luke is the one who does take the eye by the way i don't think it's jace but is it? okay yeah um but it is i think luke jace brings the knife luke ends up cutting uh, i mean they look very similar they have the same haircut yeah, and everything that so. is intentional <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah but i think that just goes to show how aemond is is Alison's son. He has really been listening to what she has been saying um, about their station, about what what should be theirs. And I think that's how he handles himself in this episode. He just acts like he belongs. And now that he has this, I think it mostly stems from Vagar as well. Having Vagar now just gives him absolute confidence. And yeah, it just... You know, if you if we think back again to him being ridiculed and bullied with the pig and how much of a mess he was, and that wasn't that long ago. And now he's just he's just there and he's going to yeah, just be the a badass in all senses of the word. And yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 sure he will grow up to be not a great human. <laughs> Well, he is acting like he's the heir to the throne. And yep. it I found it absolutely bullshit that when the Kingsguard runs in, they all run to Aemon's aid and not to mm. Jace's aid and yeah. Luke's aid. And Jace specifically, because he's the heir to the throne, not Luke. Oh, sorry, mm -hmm. not, yeah, well, not Luke, yeah, not but like not Aemon. <laughs> yeah. And it just it's telling to their personalities and telling to what's going on. Like in how the King's Guard sees everyone, and oh my God, don't get me started on fucking Kristen Cole. But <laughs> it is—it's just I—I I was very, I was flabbergasted by seeing that as well. So it's so cool. Mm. I love this scene and kids fighting in in, in the street in such a ferocious way. Amazing. Mm. So shall we talk about the scene after this? The big one. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds really exciting. It is. Like fuck Allison, hundred <laughs> percent. Let's start that. Let's start with that. Yeah. Um, she should just mind her own fucking business and stop being an asshole. And um, yeah, I don't know. That's my first thought. <laughs> um, do you have anything more um, specific? I mean, it just again, kids are the proxy for their their parents, specifically their mothers here, but. Yeah, I mean, Alison just is going all out here. Um, Rhaenyra definitely tries to use all of this for her advantage. And we finally have, 
you know, airing out the airing out of the accusation of illegitimacy. And that was really on Rhaenyra here because she decides to use this in the, at this point because one of her boys tells uh, tells her about it that Eamon called called them bastards and you know, she could have just let that go but she accuses him of treason that way and um, yeah I, I think just the back and forth and how Alison just is relentless and also at the same time just goes bigger and bigger and bigger until she you know gets the dagger from Viserys, from Viserys is, is going to try to cut Jace. Um, also after Cole, she commands Cole to do it, who refuses and says, yeah, I'm your protector, but not your, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, attack a child just because you order it, uh, which I found was fair, but also very opportunistic of him, obviously. Uh, but yeah, that's, that just escalated things so much. And I mean, it is definitely what uh, it is definitely summarized in, I think what you, what you used in the very beginning as, as the quote, you know, that now Alison has to stop hiding between her righteousness and now everybody can see her as she truly is. And that is just so powerful. And I, th I, I think maybe that also shows I wonder if Alicent has known about this, that this has been inside of her all along to that degree, because Otto seems to be surprised afterwards and what he calls determination on her part, she, he always thought she lacked. But here you can see just how ferocious she is and it's just, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger this scene and it's it's perfectly written it's so well done so many moving parts but we still kind of see the uh you know and again we see Viserys struggling with keeping peace and yeah it just again shows you about everyone's character yeah on the Viserys, on the Viserys point yeah he's such a weak king he can't really do anything and the only way he tries to resolve the issue is by commands and decrees. He doesn't actually see the problem that's underlying mm. everything and try to solve it in some way, shape, or form. On the Allison side, I like the idea that she didn't realize that this ferocity is within her until now. But the way that, that Olivia Cook performed the scene, I don't think that's the case. Because she didn't have any surprise on her face. She wasn't worried at all. There wasn't anything that came to her that flustered her at any point there or after about her actions there yes she did say that she made a mistake when she was confessing to Otto, but i don't think she seemed that way as she seemed to kind of you know um, go forward with it um, naturally so i think in the end it's something that she does know and she was actively in the last episode for example we complained that she was saying oh for the privilege so that honor and Dignity will prevail or whatever, <laughs> yeah. as if she's the honorable one. But mm -hmm. in reality, that was never the case. And I, Emma Darcy, the way she reads that line, hiding behind the cloak of your own righteousness. And, and but now they see you as who you really are, as you are. Wow, what a performance. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, the way she reads that line, her voice is incredible. And as great as Millie Alcock was as Rhaenyra, I didn't think we would get Emma Darcy's performance to be even better. And I think she's doing it, which is, is it was just an insane bar to reach. So <laughs> great job by both performers. And this scene is, this scene here uh, with the cat's paw dagger and Allison kind of going at her. The cat's paw dagger, man, it just goes everywhere. Um, but... <laughs> It is. It was heavily featured in the promotional issue, uh, the promotional materials for the show. It was on the trailer. It was everywhere, and it's finally cool to see this scene come to fruition. It is the most important scene up until this point in the show between the two because it shows how their rivalry has spilled into the public sphere. And immediately after Allison drops the dagger and retreats back to the arms of Kristen Cole, notably. You see the show, the the 
and and Damon approaches the boys and Rhaenyra on the other side. You see the camera pan to have two concurrent shots. One, mm-hmm. it shows Alicent and her side, and the other, it shows Rhaenyra and her side. Yeah. And it is not subtle, and it's house foreshadowing. <laughs> Who's going to be on whose side? What's going to happen? And let's fucking go, basically. Yeah, I'm so excited for this. Ah. This is oh, such a this is such a good show. This is such a good episode. After last week, I thought, I hope this wasn't just you know the, that wasn't the last good episode, incredibly good episode that we get from this show. And I mean, they delivered. Just the next episode is just as good. Let's keep it coming. So, what do you think is going to happen next? What are you excited for? I think we're getting a time jump. Mm-hmm. I don't know to when. Um, I think we've had multiple like sequences where we have a couple episodes in a row that are close to back to back, and then we get a time jump. We get a big event and a time jump. So I'm expecting some jump into the future. Um, how far it's going to be, I'm not really sure. Um, and because of that prediction, I have no idea what we're going to do and what we're going to land. <laughs> Maybe they'll be more like entrenched in their camps. Maybe... Uh, obviously the boys uh, will all be a little bit older. Maybe the mar- the wedding has already happened. Um, I'm not sure how far we're going to move, but um, I guess it'll be interesting to see how things move forward. Yeah, I'm going to be particularly interested in the family dynamics on the Hightower side. Alicent obviously being the center of it, what her relationship to her father is going to be like, what her relationship to her children is going to be like, and what... Aegon and Aemon are going to do between the two of them because Aegon is obviously an idiot and Aemon is the right choice as heir. Let's put it that way. He is the way stronger one. And on the other side, I'm, you know, what happens with Daemon and Rhaenyra, obviously, but also in relationship to the Valerians and, you know, the the supposed death of Lenor and what what consequences does that have? Is there going to be a formalization of their of their kind of bond? And yeah, what what and what the f- when is Viserys going to die? And what does that mean uh, for for you know everybody involved? Because that's really the crux of it, right? What happens if Viserys, who is just a very weak king? But what happens if he die when he dies, and you know who's going to follow whose claim? And yeah, again, so excited for next episode. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to talk about it with you. And I'm so happy that this show exists. I was I was really, I was really not confident that this show is going to be good. And this show is great. No argument here. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you like the show, I guess uh, support us in any way that you can. Uh, five-star rating, maximum rating units in your podcast platform of choice. I'm running out of energy slowly. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I guess with that, uh, for Chris, I'm Rashad, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.